Hey guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Nate. And we are going to tell you all the things you really want to hear for teens. So if there's anything that we haven't talked about yet or questions that you have that you'd like to know about, let us know by emailing us at realadvice4teens at gmail.com. And that's the number four. So once again, realadvice4teens at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our new episodes every week. So today we are doing part two on grief. Um, I think Jessica's actually really excited about this because she likes teaching about grief. I think she's found that it, she's really been able to help kids with it. So here you go. Well, you're going to help too. It's not just me. I'm just going to sit here and go to sleep. That's my plan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> I'll keep him awake. Don't worry, guys. We'll keep it entertaining. All right, so we are on part two of grief. How do we deal with grief? So we talked about what grief was and the five, the five Do you remember them? Um, acceptance was in there. Yes, that's the last one. Good. Yep. And anger. Mm-hmm. That was in there. Mm-hmm. Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What's the first stage? Shock and awe. Den- denial. denial. <laughs> and then <laughs> bargaining. You missed bargaining. That's okay. My students missed that one on the test, too. All right, so how do we deal with those? If we know about them, that's our first step in dealing with them because we can be aware of our emotions. If we are going through something and we are acting out some way, we're angry or we're sad or we're just acting differently, it's good to know that, oh, these are part of grieving and it's okay. Yeah, and remember... It doesn't have a direct correlation to just a death in the family or something like that, too. Remember, you know, it can be anything that you're grieving about that's just hard. So if you're going through something like that, it really might not be a bad idea to write down these five steps and try to gauge where you're at on them so that you can kind of track your progression because it's it's normal. It's going to happen, and it's okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of our challenges... Um, and a lot of what helps us get through our challenges is being able to think about what's going on or being metacognitive about what we're going through. That metacognitive is a fancy way to say thinking about thinking. Um, and it's Nate's like favorite word. It, it really is. Metacognition, I just love it. It just makes me sound smart, I think. I'm not, but it sounds that way. Actually, he has a very big vocabulary. I was talking to my mom about that the other day. It's like, I don't even understand. I can spell way better than him. I read way more than him, but he knows these outrageous words, and he loves to use them when we're arguing, and then I just feel dumb. She looks at me blankly because she doesn't know what I'm saying. Just makes me mad. I think he does it on purpose. I may. I don't know. Usually when <laughs> I usually when I get more um, passionate or maybe frustrated, and that might be a better word, mm-hmm. um, I get more verbose. And again, that's just a fancy oh, way. Verbose. To, a fancy way to say that my vocabulary vocabulary broadens. I don't so. even get how I just anyway. Okay, metacognizant. Continue. Metacognition. Yes. So being metacognizant. 
Yeah, thinking about thinking. If yes. you're aware of what's going on, you can better handle the situation. So it's kind of like if you think of, I mean, I guess you guys all know how I like to use my uh, stories to help you understand things, right? But, I mean, imagine you're in your room at nighttime um, and it's dark, right? And, you know, you've probably all had these moments where you scream and your dad comes in a room and you're just scared or whatever. But imagine you're in your room at nighttime and it's dark and you can't see anything, but you hear a noise or you see a shadow or something like that. But you don't get up to explore whatever it is, the noise or the shadow. You are just going to sit there afraid until you do. But when you get up and start to explore what's going on, you can shed light on the fact that, oh, there's a piece of paper blowing on the heater vent. The vacuum. It's or, always the vacuum that looks like a or, person. Or, yeah, your, your mom left the vacuum in the corner of your room and mm -hmm. put a hat on top of it so it looks like a person, but you were too scared to get up. The point is is that exploratory phase, that, that, that point that you go through where you actually start to explore what's going on, alleviates your fear, and you can then go to sleep. But if you never do that, if, ne if you never get that metacognition, that thinking about thinking, what's going on with me, um, you don't know how to handle the situation, so. Yeah, and that it's a really good point with fear when we really analyze or with stress or with whatever we're going through, analyze, like, why am I feeling this way? What's the worst that can happen? It kind of helps us a lot, and that's, I don't know, kind of off track from grief. But being aware of it, and Nate mentioned, write it down. One thing that's very important when you're grieving is that you have someone you can talk to. You need to be able to talk about your emotions. And if you don't have someone, get a journal and write it down. And even if they're angry thoughts and you write it all down and then rip it up and burn it, at least you're getting those emotions out. And that's very healthy and normal to get those feelings out. Because it does make you aware of how you're feeling, and it also is just a good release for you. And I used to do that all the time as a teenager. I did too. And you know, that also brings me to a point that I think needs to be made too. If you can find people that are going through, or that have gone through something similar to you, the grief process can be helped even more. And sometimes that's not possible. But just with some of the things that I've gone through, finding people that can actually relate on a personal level to what I might be going through or might have gone through in the past actually really helped me to feel validated because I knew that they understood me in that situation. And I took more stock, I guess, um, in what they were saying and had a greater belief in what they were saying because they'd been through it. So I was more willing to follow their advice. Yeah, it really is so important to have someone there to talk to. And if you don't, just write yeah. those feelings well, down. Again, what I said may not always be possible, but if it is, seek it out. If it's not, talk to somebody or, as Jess said, write it down. Get it, get it out there. Don't just leave it bottled up. Having things bottled up is actually not a good thing at all. No. You can't just shove your feelings in a closet and shut the door and forget about them because later on they're still going to be there and you are going to act different or have different stressors and it's going to be from whatever you didn't deal with in the past. Like me as an adult, 
there are things now, and I think we talked about the book I read, The Body Keeps Score, a while yeah, we back. Did. We did. And that made me more aware of things that I had gone through as a kid that I didn't really go through and process, but now as an adult, I have to deal with them. And it's affecting my life. So it's really important that you like accept these emotions for what they are and learn to deal with them. And I love counseling. Like I, I love it. I love counselors, therapists, psychologists, whatever you want to call them, psychiatrists. But I really think they are so beneficial. We take care of our physical health, so we should be taking care of our mental health too. And for some reason, there's a stigma Mm -hmm. that exists where we say, oh, if I'm getting mental help, I'm mental. There's a problem with me. I can't get that. Or I'm weak. Or I'm weak or whatever. Yeah. And that's not true. I think we've mentioned before, Jess and I have been to counseling as a couple two times, mm-hmm. right? And then we've been to counseling individual, multi- individually multiple times too. Yeah. It, it's not bad to go and get some help sometimes. And her and I, we talk to each other about everything, but sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you do need to get some real help um, beyond just a sounding board that people can be sometimes. Um, and get some professional direction. There's nothing wrong with that, guys. There's nothing wrong with that. No, if you had diabetes, let's say you have diabetes, you wouldn't feel embarrassed and weak. You wouldn't be like, oh, I'm such a weak person because I have to take insulin. <laughs> exactly. You would not do that. So if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, that is a mental illness. That's an illness. You are not a weak person, and it's okay to go get help. And we, I don't, I don't know. I don't love the stigma around mental illnesses and therapists. And I could talk about this the whole forty-five minutes, so I'll just keep it brief as I can. But just like you would take care of your physical body, you should be taking care of your me- or your physical health. You should be taking care of your mental health as well. Because if you're not, they go hand in hand. If you're not taking care of your mental health, it's really hard to keep track and take care of your physical health. And if you're not taking care of your physical health, then it's really hard to take care of your mental health. They really go along with each other so well. No, it's true. And I've also even noticed, like, just as a pull to that, as I've started to work out more and more and more these past few years, I my attitude's been lifted my mentality's changed and so they really do go hand in hand and something else I would also add completely separate from that um, for some reason I've noticed guys especially seem to have a big problem with seeking out counseling and help I mean we know a lot of people or have heard of people that they have marital challenges but the husband in the situation is not willing to go and seek out counseling because it's just not something that guys do or whatever. Um, And again, so I'm just saying, there's nothing weak with that. There's nothing wrong with it. Get help, it's okay. That's why they exist and that's why people have those jobs. Um, And if you didn't know this, Jess here really actually wants to become a counselor, a school counselor. She's been interested in this stuff a long time, as we mentioned in the past, because her, her grandpa, 
um, is a psychologist or was a psychologist. He's but he's he's actually quite old now. He's still very fun to talk to about this kind of thing though, because he's got some great insight. But um, and I also would add to on a completely different note again. I didn't mention in the beginning we didn't have any questions this week. That's why we didn't answer any questions this week. Um, so just remember, if you guys have questions, like send them in. We we really love to answer them um, and and talk about them. But we didn't have any this week. So yeah, yep. That's why there were no questions and answers that's okay though yeah it's okay but hopefully next week you guys have something you can think of yeah all right so let's talk about the the denial stage is kind of hard to talk about that's the first stage because there's not really much you can do it's your brain's mechanism of trying to protect you from dealing with whatever you're going through well here i'll give you an example of it okay another one we talked about my what happened with my dad um but um i had an incident when was that 2013 i think i think it was march 22nd 2013 um where i ended up getting well it was dumb but i got shot in the hand no 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 he didn't get shot in the hand. Tell it how it really is. I Okay, so I shot myself <laughs> in the hand. And it's not like I just said, I wonder if this will hurt and pull the trigger. It was an accidental situation. <laughs> how do you um, remember what day that was? Because it was the day that I shot my hand. <laughs> Why would I forget that? I don't know. I forgot it. So, um, anyway, it, the story goes... Um, and I use this in my classroom, so if any of you guys are in my class next year and you hear this, it's ruined. But the story goes... Yeah, I sure in my classroom, too. Oh, well, we're yes, ruining right. it. The story goes, um, I had this, this handgun. I, I was in the police academy, okay? Um, and I used this handgun a lot um, for target practice and things like that to try to get more proficient in shooting a handgun that a police officer would carry. When I decided that that wasn't for me, um, I was selling this this gun and in the state of Utah you can sell guns it's it's totally normal um, and it's okay as long as you don't sell it to a criminal um, and you have them fill out a bill of sale all those things anyways so I'm selling this gun um, and I meet this guy in a parking lot of an Ikea um, of all places up towards Salt Lake City and he, you know he's he's filling out some paperwork and he asks about the gun, and I tell him that I've shot about, I've shot a lot of rounds through it, and he was concerned about that. So I'm taking, I'm dressing the gun down, Phil dressing the gun to pull out the barrel so I can show him that the barrel's not warped. Because that means he's taking the gun apart. Yeah, so if you shoot a gun a lot, the barrel can warp. He wanted to know that the barrel wasn't damaged or whatever, so I was taking it apart. That's the round thing that the bullet comes out of at the top. I th You're using all these technical terms. Barrel? I, I bet a lot of people don't know what barrel is. Okay, um, well, sorry if you don't know that. That's okay. <laughs> so he's taking the gun apart to show him how clean it is. Exactly. So okay. I take it apart. So with a handgun, um, you have to slide the top of it back, and the top of it is called the slide. So when you slide it back, you have to um, press a lever and pull a trigger, and it makes the slide come forward and drop off, and that lets you take it apart. So I have the slide pulled back, and the gun's in my hand, uh, poking into my hand and I pulled the trigger and nothing happens 
I do it again. Nothing happens. I do it a third time. You pull that three times? Yeah. I've just, never heard this part. I do it a third time. By the way, the magazine, the part that holds the bullet is, bullets is out. And when you pull the slide back, guess what happens? Any bullets that are inside of the gun come out. So at this point, in my mind, there was no, even still, there's still no physical way that there was an actual bullet in the gun. And I never carried the gun and I didn't have it loaded. So anyway, somehow though, there was a bullet in this gun. So the third time it fires and it goes into my hand and goes into the car and the guy the guy that is filling up the paperwork's like two feet in front of me and the poor guy i'm sure he's terrified thinking that i shoot him or that i shot him but you know it hit my hand anyway the point of all this story is um i remember thinking denial was the first phase that hit me that gun went off and the first thing i remember thinking was did that really happen and rather than look at my hand with a hole through it, I looked down on the ground to see if I could find a shell casing. That was the first thing I thought because my mind wouldn't accept the fact that it had happened for a number of reasons, but it just wouldn't accept it. Um, and then I looked at my hand and saw the hole and hurried and cupped it to my hoodie that I was wearing, um, which is a sweater with a hood. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Anyway, teenagers know what a hoodie is. Well, I'm just saying. Anyway, um, and I kind of held it there. So the point was, is the first thing that my mind did, the very first thing that it did was tell me it didn't happen. And I had to investigate to prove that it did. So I thought that that was interesting. You know, in that situation, that was a very tense, dramatic situation where my body said, no, that didn't happen. And then as I went through the phases, things kind of got crazy. I mean, in the middle of there, I'll give you the funny part of the story, and it's maybe not so funny, actually. But it was funny, kind of, at the same time. My family finds out that something happens. My mom tells my little brother, um, hey, Nate shot himself. No, actually, I just found out that it was your brother who sent it out to everyone. Well, yeah, and then he told everybody. Oh, okay. All he told anybody was, Nate shot himself. Yeah, so no so one even knew. They thought that I had, like, shot myself and that I was, like, dying or dead or something. Which isn't really funny. No, it's not funny, but it ends up being something that we kind of laugh at a little bit because it's like, you know... Like, you took away the most important detail that it shot in his hand. Yeah, and it was an accident, and, it you know, he just said, <sighs> he shot himself. And it's just like, okay, thanks for amping up the stress there, mm -hmm. but anyway... But I think the point of that very long, detailed story to give you a huge background on guns. I was just giving you an example guns, of denial, and now that was the first thing that I. Well, I think through. that was like oh, we could do a whole episode on guns if you want. No, anyway, I think the point of that story is actually never ever to point a gun <coughs> at something or someone you don't intend to destroy. Well, that is that is little... that is the point of that. Even if you know the gun is not loaded. But we're not having a lesson on this. You I was don't simply ever pointing out point that there's gun. proof that denial was the first step. And, and mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be tied to somebody's death. It was an accident that happened to me. and you know. you know, another good point to that is you always should listen to your wife when she tells you never to point a gun at something you don't intend to destroy. And then... We're in the hospital, and I can't even make fun of him. 
like, wow, see, I told you so. You shouldn't have pointed the gun at yourself, you know, because he's like in so much pain and I was very traumatized by it all. My side of the story is much different. But I didn't I, go I, into the whole story. No, you so, just shared your part of the story. Very small part. But yeah, it there is interesting how our minds, like when we go into shock, we kind of deny what happens. Yeah, very interesting. All right. So with that, just being aware of feeling that and aware of what your mind is doing is helpful with processing that. So the next stage after denial is, Nate, we have gone through this so many times. Should I give you a hint? She forgot. That's why she's getting me to say. She doesn't know. Sometimes I do that with my students. I'm not her student. Anger. It's anger, Nate. So how do we work through... Actually, I guess I was angry. I was angry that she took a picture of it. I was angry that everyone was in there making fun of me because it was humiliating. Everyone was not making fun of him. Yes, they were. Only one person. There were two police officers in that room. One was my dad, and one was a guy investigating from the local police department, and they were both laughing it up. And I was trying so hard not to laugh. Which in reality, it actually ended up being a good thing, to be honest with you. But yeah, he told me, you can't take a picture of it. I'm like, whatever. And now we're so glad that she did because kids every year was just like, I want to see, I want to see. I don't show it to everybody, by the way. I show it to kids that want to see, but. Yeah. Anyway, so the anger part. Which again is normal. Totally normal. Now how you respond to that anger, that can be what's normal or not. But Nate just said, but you have to let it out. So what are ways that you like, maybe I should share ways that you like to express your anger and you could share ways that I do. All right, let's do it. This might be entertaining. Let's see, when Nate is angry. Which is not very often. Hmm. He, I don't even know. I don't know if she's ever actually seen me really angry. I'm thinking. I don't think. People have seen that for a long time. I don't know what you this what you prefer to do that is beneficial. I'm not <laughs> thinking of the other things that are not beneficial. But what do you like to do? I don't know. Okay, what do I like to do when I'm angry? Because I know what you're going to say. She, say it. Just say it. When she's angry, she puts headphones in her ears and turns up the music really loud and starts cleaning. Yes. <laughs> or she'll go on a walk or she'll remove herself from the situation. Yeah. And for me, when I'm angry in a normal situation where like if Jess and I are arguing, for example, which is what I'm referring to with her too, um, I like to talk out the situation. Like the way my mind works, I try to find out why something is going on so I can fix the problem and the funny thing is i'm gonna admit this and she's gonna be she's gonna be stoked or shocked but and we're recording it the funny thing is is the problem can't really be solved most of the time um because in reality the problem isn't really even a problem so there's an analogy that we were given when we were in counseling i think i've said this on this show before but i love it so much the analogy is that um you have two people that are arguing 
and and the argument let's let's say the argument takes the form of a flea-ridden nasty dog that gets loose in your house and you're sitting there arguing about who let the dog in the house rather than just going in the house and getting the dog out of the house you're arguing about who put the dog in the house and so for me i'm going to sit there and i'm going to sit there and try to analyze okay why did the dog get let in the house and try to fix it from that direction it doesn't work but in my mind it does which in a way it kind of helps me calm down still but anyway um the problem's the dog so i don't really actually f deal with my anger at least in those situations very well i don't think hmm yeah see walking away is good see and i walk away and then we can come back and address what the real issue well, the is because when you're is, angry but if you walk away the dog still just roaming the house it's true so it's true Oh, she's At least I could clean the house behind the dog with my headphones in. That's true. At least if you did that. <laughs> anyway, so let's, well, I guess we won't talk about us because we don't have super positive ways. But positive ways to express your anger. Exercising. Well, actually, you know, working out is really good. I love exercising I when to, I'm angry. When I was younger, I actually used to hit a punching bag. I did too. Which used to alleviate a lot of frustration. Yes. Um, I would go work. So I lived on a, on a hay farm when I was in high school and stuff. And going and just like getting out that aggression through work helped mm -hmm. a lot. Um, listening to music can really, really help as well. Um, just going outside. Like guys, seriously. Going outside and just screaming as loud as you can about this. Literally, just go scream. Mm -hmm. Let it out. That actually helps a lot, too. Yeah, or in your pillow if you don't want people to think you're You can, but trust me, crazy. I'm, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. If you walk outside and just scream, it is more alleviating than even screaming in your pillow. Because in your pillow, you're still kind of stifling the anger. If you just mm -hmm. go let it out outside, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. I'm going to try that next time I'm angry. Our and neighbors got, are going to be like, what is wrong with her? Well, our, we got enough kids. I don't think anybody's going to know. That's so. true. They probably hear me anyway. Um, crying is actually very beneficial. Yeah. Crying does mm -hmm. help too. It really does. Yep. Crying is not a bad thing. Writing things down helps. Mm-hmm. And kind of figuring out, if you're angry a lot of the time, figuring out what is triggering that anger yep. helps with that. So then with the writing it down, like if you write down, okay, why am I angry? Even if you know you're angry, get out a piece of paper and a pencil or something and just write down that question. Why am I angry? And then just do a mind dump and just write down everything that comes to mind and you will start to kind of get a picture of what's going on. And then if you have a picture of what's going on, you know how to address it. Yeah, and if you are at a point that you don't want to feel angry, because sometimes- Sometimes there, you want to be Yeah, angry. sometimes I just want to run and feel that adrenaline. Like when she leaves her headphones in for five hours and cleans. Yes, get that house clean. But there's times that I'll get angry and then I cry and then I do like deep breathing. Usually it's angry, then deep breathing exercises, and then cry. And then I felt all those emotions and I'm ready to move on with my day. But deep breathing is a really, oh yeah, really great so tool. So I will tell students to do that. Um, 
So just breathing exercises, you can do it however you want, but a typical one that I tell them is like, you breathe in for eight seconds and out for eight seconds, and in for six and out for six, and in for four and out for four, and in for two and out for two. You, it's funny, like you can actually literally feel your heart start to slow down mm -hmm. in those situations. It works with anger, it works with anxiety, and I'm not saying, like again, remember we're not professionals, this is just something that we've used or that I've used that I've seen work. And it's not necessarily gonna stop an anxiety attack or anything like that either, but it can help calm you down in pretty tense situations. Yeah. And then just repeat and repeat and repeat until you've come to a calmer state and then go back to your life. Yeah. yeah I think breathing is very, very helpful. But if you are feeling angry, you can't just try to hide that anger away. Like being aware of why you're angry. So a little grief story about me. I had an uncle and I was very close to him. Very, very close to him. He like took care of me when I was little. Like he babysit me. Anyway, he was the coolest man. And he committed suicide. And I, that was the hardest death I've ever experienced. I hadn't experienced grief like that until that moment and I cried and cried and cried and for the longest time and so I would stay up at night until like 2 a.m watching tv because I didn't want to go to bed and cry myself to sleep I didn't want to deal with those emotions. And oftentimes guys she still cries about that one. And that oh was a long I do time ago. six years ago yep and I do. I still cry about it. It's still really hard for me. And I've learned to accept that and that's okay. And for me, that's my normal. But there is a point in time when I was frustrated. And I don't know. I don't think I was frustrated at the situation. I was just frustrated a lot. And so I sat down one day and I was crying and I was alone and I wrote in my phone a note. And I'm not going to read the note to you because then I'll just start crying on the show. And I can't really talk very well when I cry. No, I like she can't. squeak a it's, little bit. It's true. But in it, I expressed some anger towards him. And saying that right now <laughs> makes me feel kind of guilty. <clears throat> like I feel guilty that I was angry towards him because obviously he was going through something really hard. But in my mind, I was frustrated at the fact of how could you do this? How could you leave your kids and your family? And I was angry. And once I was able to express that, it helped me cope with it. And it's not that I am so mad at him because, I mean, I love him. I'm more sad. But those are normal feelings to go through. And it could be a parent's divorce. That was the first time I ever remember feeling angry. Was my parents got a divorce. They were separated. And my babysitter would not let me talk to my dad on the phone. Because I should have gone to bed. And I remember screaming at this babysitter. And I remember feeling so, so angry. And I was five years old. I was little. But that was the very first time I remember feeling anger. 
And that's totally normal. My life was turned upside down. That just reminded me of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, turned upside down. Yeah. Anyway, but I felt this anger and that was normal. I was experiencing grief. And not until I went to counseling this last year did I really understand, oh, I probably do have a lot of built-up anger because of that. Even if I understand it as an adult, going back and thinking about those emotions. So just remember, being angry is normal. It's okay. But find healthy ways to cope with it. Not yelling at the people you love, not destroying things. Find healthy ways to cope with that anger. The next one is bargaining. And we talked about that one, and that's a normal feeling. That one, I don't really have a coping thing with that because that's same thing, like your brain trying to figure it out. Uh, depression. Depression's the next one. And depression, this isn't like clinical depression. It could turn into that. But this is more just extreme sadness. So how do we deal with this extreme sadness that you might feel when you lose something or someone? So for me, and this is going to sound, and I don't know. I, I here Again, remember, not an expert, okay? Nope. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I did. I remember there were a lot of days, you know, after my dad died, um where i would drive home from work and some days were good and some days are bad but there were days where i would just throw myself on the bed and just cry um and it, it would come and go and come and go um and then there were days where i was just sad and i wanted to be sad so like i would listen to every sad song you could imagine i would put myself on the biggest pity party that there ever was. Um, and the funny thing is, is when I did that, it was releasing. Yeah. It helped to get that emotion out so that I could move on from it. So I guess what I'm saying is, is I embraced my sadness as much as I could. And I talked to people as much as they'd listen. Um, and it, it was anybody, um, you know, there, there's still this one song, uh, what's it, who's, it's that song, who, who sings it? It's, uh, Say Something. Say Something. But I can't remember the name of the, the people that sing it. That song destroys me, even now, if I hear it. I hear it on the radio and I hurry and turn it off. Yep. Um, because it, it's a, you know, it just... There was a there was a video that was made around the time that all this went down, and they used that song in the background, and it's just it's deep seated in my mind in those times when we were going through all that. But there are days, you know, there have been days where I'll listen to that, and it helps to kind of take care of my sadness. It helps me kind of get through it. But if I'm not sad, if I'm just kind of going on and I'm fine, and I hear that song. It's amazing. It can bring me right back down too. Yeah. Um, but guys, you got you got to embrace the sadness. You can't hide it. It's 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 totally okay to 
actually let yourself be sad for a little bit. Yeah, it's normal. And when it initially happened, I don't know, maybe this was Nate behind the scenes, but he wasn't sad and he was strong for his siblings and for his mom. Yeah. I mean, I do remember one time him crying on my shoulder and that was so hard because he's quite a bit taller than me and bigger than me. But he would be strong for other people around him. And then after the first, I don't know, few weeks or so where he had to be strong for everyone, then he was able to express this sadness and I really think that helped him get over it because you can't just be strong all the time for people around you you have to be able to show that sadness well yeah and I was I was in the situation guys where I'm the oldest in my family and now the patriarchal person or my dad patriarchal just means uh family that has a father who's in charge basically um but the patriarch of our family is gone which means guess what i now take his place that's just kind of the mindset right and that doesn't mean that you know i step in and i become you know in charge of my mom or anything like that but it just meant that i took on a new role yeah um i had two siblings that were both in school my, my little sister was in junior high at the time right and Tyson, my brother, was in high school. And I will never replace their dad, I'll never be their dad, but I still felt a responsibility to be a father figure in their life. I remember the night he died, my little sister, she, she I remember she hugged me one time and she just said, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna need you. And it just, for me, it really kind of set the expectation that I had to be something mm -hmm. more. So, yeah, around people, I didn't feel like I could let my emotions show because I needed to be strong for other people. But, yeah, Jess, she saw everything else on the backside. She saw the struggle that I went through. Um, I remember there was a time with, I, I have an uncle who he was having a hard time one day and I just I didn't know what to do but I went and I put my arm around him and, and comforted him and he said something later on about how he thought it was amazing that I was comforting him when he felt he should be comforting me and I'm not saying anything about me what I'm saying is is that's what my mindset was at the time it was just I need to comfort people that's kind of the role that I took on and when a tragedy like that strikes, everyone's gonna kind of take on a role. You'll, you, you know, if, hopefully you don't have to go through that, but if you do or when you do, you'll, you'll see. I mean, everyone just kind of takes on a role. There'll be somebody who's in charge. There'll be somebody who's inconsolable. There'll be somebody that just puts on a strong face. Like there are all these different things that are gonna happen, and that's just because everyone's going through the same thing, but they're handling it differently. So. Yeah, and so you can't feel. I don't know, bad. I think there's some people who feel bad when they say, I'm not crying at a funeral. Am I not normal? Everyone handles it differently. Every single person is different. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't compare yourself to 
someone else, even in the exact same situation as you, because you are not the same person. It's true. So you're going to handle things differently. The, the guy, the guys, there were days where I would look at my mom in the most trying of circumstances, and she would just be straight-faced stoic. And it's like, how are you, like, not just dying outward as much as I'm sure she, as much as I know she was inwardly? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, that's just how it is sometimes. Yep. We're all, we are all different. We really... I could go to anyone's funeral. It doesn't matter if I knew them or not. She'll cry. And I would be bawling. She's Jess is very tender-hearted. <laughs> she cares about people so, 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 so much. I do. And when she sees people suffering, she it's natural for her to want to share in their suffering and try to console them as much. And it could be a complete random stranger. It really could. I could go and to a stranger's funeral. Re- she would still respond that way. And I would still cry. And I mean... I, I think I feel this a similar way, but nothing like she does. Yeah, so we are all different, and that's okay. So don't, like, judge yourself based on someone else because you are your own person. You get yeah. to decide what maybe small goals you have. Maybe it's really hard what you're going through, and your goal might be to get up and take a shower. Yeah. And that is okay. And trust me, some days that's all you're going to be able to yeah, do. Yeah, and that's okay. It is. But setting those little goals are going to help you be able to cope with things too. And allowing yourself to feel sad, allowing yourself to feel angry, having all those emotions, understanding that you're not the same as someone else, that's what's going to really help you get through this. Yeah. Yeah, I really don't compare yourself to other people, guys. Don't do it. Don't don't look at somebody and be like, oh, they're so strong. I want to be just like them. That's never, I mean, that doesn't sound like a bad thing on the surface, but you can't hold yourself to that standard because we're just different. We're just different. Yeah. you got to handle things the way that you need to handle things. And that's why I said, again, write down the five steps. Write down what's going on and try to trace where you're at so that you can track yourself through its progression. And And Nate says steps, and I'm going to correct him. Yeah, sorry, it's not steps. It's stages because they're not steps. They're not one after the other. It's true. You can go back and forth and, okay, sorry. No, 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 that's a great point. I didn't mean steps, but I just, but yeah, you you can go through any one of them, but it'll help. It'll help, guys. Yeah, just being aware of what you're going through. And if you have someone you know who's grieving over something, understand they may not want to talk to you. They might want to. They might want to share the same thing with you over and over again. And that's okay. Just be a listening ear. Be there for them. Love them. Encourage them. You know, and don't don't try to be like a therapist and you understand everything don't compare yourself to what they're going through just be there for them no so she said that and that reminded me of that whole time in the beginning after my dad died she i know she didn't know what to say i know she didn't know what to do i know she didn't know how to handle that situation i know she didn't 
I know she didn't. But I also remember telling her how helpful she was to me because she was there. I remember I remember there were plenty of times, there were plenty of days there um, right after it happened and for a while after where I would just have moments where I would just cry into my pillow and I couldn't do anything but cry. It was just like that's all my body wanted to do. All I could do was just cry. And she would sit there and she would just rub my back or pat my back and it was hard. It was really, really difficult. But just knowing that she was there helped me get through it. She was my rock in all of that stuff. And without her, I wouldn't have been able to get through it. And because of her being my rock, I was able to be a rock for other people, for my kids, for my siblings, for my mom or whoever else I was. I don't know who I was, but I tried to be. It made a big difference. Yeah, you have to take care of yourself if you want to help take care of other people. You have to be able to take care of yourself and what you're going through, and then you're going to be able to help people more. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it means just be there. Yeah. Just be a shoulder for them to lay their head on. You know, and don't say anything. Just be there. Because it's hard. It's hard to know what to say. And, and, it really and, is. and my situation, what would you say? I don't know what you would say. Even you say I'm here for you and I love you. And that's, that's all what you, you say. Can. And it made a difference. I'm telling you guys. So. Yeah. All right. Sorry to end on a sad note. I try never to end it's my not, classes on a sad note. I'm telling you, it's not a sad note. Okay. It's it was guys. It was helpful. Um, it We're was definitely a really, stronger for really what we've been through. Good thing for me. So really hard, really hard. But, you know, seeing how what you're going through can help you, how it can help you in the future. Maybe that can give you a little bit of hope because it really you're going to go through hard things, but you can do it and it will make you a stronger person if you cope with it in healthy ways. I I agree. I mean, what I've been through, what Jess has been through collectively, individually, I believe that it's really helped us to become who we are now and put us in a situation where we can do what we now do as teachers. And I mean, even just doing this podcast, I think our experiences have really uniquely prepared us for this. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that, hey, you're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff and you have to become a teacher because I know a lot of you may not ever even dream of that. By the way, I never dreamt of being a teacher, ever, ever. But now I can't think of anything, doing anything else because yep. I know I can make a difference. At least I hope I can. All right, guys. Well, we hope you have a great week. And if you've got questions, send them out um, to that email that we have. That What is it now? That Nate <laughs> never can remember. No, it's real advice. Four teens at gmail.com. So remember, it's the number yes. four. Good. And advice is A D V I C E, not S E. <laughs> not advice. <laughs> not advice. And but if advice. you want to follow us on Insta, it's real advice for teens. We don't have anybody that's followed us yet, so you no. can be the first. Be the first one. Maybe I'll send you a gift card or something if you're the first one. 
Should I do that? Is there a way to do that? I guess you can send a digital one. Oh. We can send a digital gift card. That'd be fun. That would be way cool. Yeah. Yeah. Be the first one. Real advice for teens on Insta. Yeah. And again, any questions, send them in, guys. Have a good week. Bye.